welcome to Hair Dark Materials. I'm Faye. Hi. And I'm Rachel. Hello. This is a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials novels, a chapter at a time, spoiler free. In this episode, we are talking about chapter 23 of Northern Lights, The Bridge to the Stars. The last chapter. Ah, it's the last one. Ah! Faye, how are you doing? Hi, Bridge. I'm doing well. I'm ready for take two. <laughs> oh my god, we had technical difficulties. My computer completely completely froze and died. Well, we'll see how it's we do fine. on it's, this one. It's fine. It's fine. We can do it again. It's all good. It's all I'm, good. I'm watching everything like a hawk now because I'm so scared <laughs> it's all going to collapse on me. <laughs> ah, uh, it's fine. Look, we made it to the end of Northern Lights. Who'd have thought? Oh my gosh. Right. Who'd it's the thought? end of the first book. I can't believe we made it. And we made it way ahead of schedule as well. Because we switched from doing every other week to every week. So we smashed it. Yeah, technically you guys are like living in the future because we weren't supposed to be putting this episode out till like August, end of August. And you're getting it so early. And thanks, coronavirus, I guess. <laughs> silver lining can't yeah i suppose <laughs> the, the bleakest humor you've ever heard yeah yeah yes yes i i'm gonna say this again and i said it last time and you laughed at me but we are doing subtle knife if that wasn't clear we are gonna go on to do the subtle knife but we're gonna have a little break in between but we're gonna have some fun stuff in between too so rich and i actually sat down for once and did a, did a little schedule we planned things. We planned things. We're planners now. <laughs> we planned it and well done us because oh, I just can't believe it. I love it. Okay, so this is the last chapter, as you know, and then we're finished with Northern Lights, which is sad, but we'll get through it. We'll get through it together. The next time you're going to hear from us is not not too long. It's going to be next week and it's going to be our Joel Collins interview. Joel Collins is the production designer and one of the producers on the HBO TV series and was really great to talk to you. So we're really excited to give you that as a special interview episode in the break-ish. Yeah, yeah, he was super nice, as everyone has been. So yeah, we're excited for you to hear that. And then the week after that, on the 27th of July, we're going to do a Northern Lights wrap-up. So that's going to be our thoughts on the book as a whole and we're going to chat through characters that we like just you know it's gonna be a lot of mrs coulter in there a lot of hatred for asriel um a lot of stuff that we've not been able to say because we haven't been able to like talk about the book as a whole because we've been going chapter by chapter yeah and keeping it spoiler free and there's so much foreshadowing that we weren't able to talk about what it was foreshadowing for exactly yeah so we're excited to do that and also we wanted to like kind of open the floor to you folks in a sense as well so if you've got questions for us around northern lights or you've just got some hot hot takes that you want to tell us about some opinions that you have on the book as a whole send those into us and we'll have a little section where we talk about all that as well. So yeah, any questions for us or like opinions, send them over, tweet us, send us an Instagram message. The deadline for sending us all of that information is the 20th. Ooh, check Rachel. out. Because I thought about this, I was like, <laughs> we don't want to ask them for questions and then not tell them when we're recording because that would mean that the questions were too late. That's true. That is very true. Good thinking. 
Make sure you send in your questions or your observations by email or tweet or however you like by Monday the 20th of July because we'll be recording that wrap-up chapter that week or that wrap-up episode that week. Good thinking, Rich. Good thinking. I'm on it. Yeah, she is. (laughs) Her computer broke and now she's back on it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know where to find us, but you can tweet us. At HGM Pod, send us an Instagram message or a comment on one of our pictures. Uh, that's HGM Pod too. Send us a Facebook message, the same, or you can email us her.materialspod at gmail.com or go to our website, which is hgmpod.co.uk and put a little message in the submission box on the first page. And we will see them all and we will be very excited because we bloody love an email. Oh, we do. We do. It'll be great. So, carrying on with the schedule, I feel like I'm like a teacher. <laughs> I love it. You're sorting out my timetable for the next, like, month. (laughs) So, after that, so Monday 3rd of August, we are going to do an episode on the lantern slide that's included in the Northern Lights book. So, I know a lot of you have actually asked us this question before, and we didn't know that they existed until our listener Laurel kindly sent them over. I think that there might be other versions, but uh, I remember Laurel uh, mentioning that... They are in the omnibus version of His Dark Materials, the trilogy. And what it is, is basically at the end of each book, uh, Philip's kind of written some just some like random paragraphs about certain things in the book that didn't fit into the book. We learn a little bit more about like Lee Scoresby and Azrael and things like that. It's kind of just, I kind of envision it as like, he was writing the book and then his editor was like, you don't need that paragraph in, you don't need that paragraph in, this is too long, blah, blah, blah. And he chopped it down and then he was like, Do you know what? I'm going to put it back in. I really liked this. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm going to put it back in, but I'm going to put it back in at the end. So we are going to do an episode on the uh, the lantern slide that is at the end of Northern Lights, and that will be on the 3rd of August. Oh my God, we're doing so much stuff, Rich. I'm so excited. So excited. (laughs) On the 10th of August, we are going to release an episode about the Golden Compass film. Faye's never seen it before, so I am so excited to get her to watch it and hear what she thinks because completely unique perspective, having seen the HBO TV show before the film. I know, I know. Even Daphne Keane had seen the film before you, Faye. I know. I'm like, I'm so looking forward to watching it. I'm ready for... Well, like Daphne said to to me, she was like, keep an open mind and I am going to do that. I've heard so many like negative things about it. I'm going to keep an open mind. Mm, We'll see. We'll see. Do it. I'll try not to be too bitter. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that will be it for all of like the Northern Lights content. And then we're going to take a little break. So the last you'll hear from us on Northern Lights will be the 10th of August. But we will be back in your ears with the first chapter of The Subtle Knife on the 21st of September. So we're taking a little break uh, just to kind of regroup, prepare for The Subtle Knife and yeah, we'll be back on your ears then. And also one thing to note as well is that when we come back, we'll be going back to having bi-weekly episodes instead of weekly episodes. Uh, our life is getting a bit busier with like lockdown easing and things like that. So it makes a bit more sense for us to go to go back unless there's a second wave at some point, which I... Oh God, don't jinx it. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm sorry, like touch wood or whatever. Yes, Yay. so many plans. It's very exciting. Mm-hmm. In the break... Do not fear, there will be some exciting bonus content that we're aiming to put out for our patrons. So as you know, we set up a Patreon a few months ago and we've got some different tiers with different reward levels and we're going to try and use 
the little break that we've given ourselves to really kind of focus on making some cool stuff for Patreon as well. Totally. Which is really exciting. So that's really good. And in with the Patreon stuff, we will be doing a watch along of The Golden Compass before we film our episode about The Golden Compass movie. So if you'd like to become a patron and watch along with us, we will be doing that quite soon. So I suggest you sign up ASAP so you can vote on the date and the time that we're going to all watch it together. Yes, yes, (laughs) definitely. Yeah, so I think we'll be doing that in either like mid to end of July or the very beginning of August. So yeah, sign up. If you want to join us for that, make sure you sign up soon. So like Rich said, you can get in on all the voting and you can be, we can let you into the Discord um, in time for that. But we'll be posting more information on that when we know a little bit more because we've got lots of people from all over the world who so we need to try and make time zones work. And we'll post that on social media as well um, when we know an exact date. So you can follow us on there if you don't already at HDM Pod. How many times am I going to say at HDM Pod in this episode? I don't, I don't know. know. You're, you're being very good at listing all the things today. I've barely had to say anything. It's great. <laughs> One thing we didn't say now that we've, now that I've like finished my uh, teacher schedule handing out, how are you? Oh my God. Um, good. I mean, I'm in a bit of a flap because of the whole technical difficulties thing. Um, good. I had a minor brain fog slash melt yesterday uh where i had like a bit of a panic about getting everything done because i i'm really good at setting deadlines for myself that i can't stick to and then stressing out about them when the only person that's enforcing the deadline is myself yeah so yeah that's fun so i've been working up towards a shop update and i've had to just like push it back for my own like peace of mind brain space like stopping myself from like fraying my nerves beyond reason when there's literally no reason to like nobody's gonna tell me off like I am my own boss but I just can't get it out of my head when I like set myself a deadline and um so that's fun (laughs) yeah I get that it's tough and also I said this before we started recording but you don't worry about those podcast deadlines Rich I got them up here and I know it's fine I, I, I will do it for both of us I uh deadlines on my on my jam because I have so many at work that I'm just like I can I'll make it work for the both of us I can do this yes <laughs> yeah it will be fine how are you doing I'm all right <laughs> like I'm fine as usual I don't really have that much new to report yeah lockdown yeah work, <laughs> work is busy everything's busy I mean what have I been doing I watched, watched season two of the politician recently Oh, is it good? Yeah. Have you seen season one? I have, yes. I've been season Netflix has been trying to jam season two down my throat recently and I just haven't haven't yet clicked on it. <laughs> I enjoyed it. It's, I, I've got one episode left, but like it's just ridiculous. It kind of reminds me of Riverdale in the sense that like everything's just outrageous. But Bette Midler is in mm. the second season. And very polished. Yeah. D- uh, so polished, yeah. Bette Midler's in the second season. She's great. Nice. Yeah. Um but yeah, I haven't been doing that much. Lockdown is easing a little bit. Like you guys, it was so strange because we mentioned this last episode, but Johnny and Rich came over to watch Hamilton on Saturday, which was amazing. And we had so much fun. But then I was like, God, I can't remember the last time my weekend was kind of scheduled up with things like that right. wasn't like podcast related or like just going for a walk with Liam related. Like actual social things were in my calendar. It's very odd. And I was like, how did I do all this before lockdown? Also just like genuinely walking back from your house 
Like, I get the pubs are open and totally it's your prerogative to, like, go to the pub and try and keep your social distancing while you're there and stuff. But so, so many people just, like, absolutely, like, hammered on the streets. Mm. And it just, personally, I'm not super great at, like, crowded public spaces at the best of times. Um, And having been isolated for however many months, I've gotten very used to having my personal space and having the only people around me be people that I know very well or in the supermarket. And it's a bit different from having like drunk people walk past you on the street and struggle to keep two meters distance because they're so wobbly. And that was very much the experience walking back from from your house on Saturday night because the pubs had been open and everyone's been like in the pub all day. And whilst they do have that, like, you can only be in this pub for three hours, that doesn't mean you can't just go to the next pub for another three hours. So everyone was clearly doing, like, pub crawls and it was, it stressed me out a lot. And it will be a long time before I feel comfortable doing that. And I am quite comfortable just supporting my local pubs and breweries by taking things away to my safe space. (laughs) Yeah. I think I'll definitely wait for it to to calm down before I uh, venture to a pub, I think. Um, but yeah, like lots of people, like, and like you said, it's completely your prerogative, but I know, like, I was speaking to a couple of people who had gone straight to get their haircuts and like straight to like restaurants and I've, uh, somebody like I know is going on holiday, like flying on holiday soon. And I'm just a bit, that's too much for me personally. Like I had a hair appointment, like just scheduled from like the beginning of lockdown, you know, and they just rescheduled it. So they, they kept it in the diary and that was supposed to be today actually and I was just like nah you know what I'm all right I don't want to like don't want to number one get the bus up to Herburn which is where I go and then I love my hairdresser she's great but I kind of just don't want somebody else's face in my face like and I know that they will have done whatever they can to make it safe for people but personally I'm just like "Mm, no not yet and also I'm kind of enjoying watching my roots grow out see how that goes oh my god same I'm getting like quite a like balayage kind of vibe going I'm up for it and also my hair is so faded that it's almost blonde and I've got some like from back in the days when I was dyeing my hair pink and purple and stuff I've totally got some like directions veggie dyes in the cupboard and I'm like do I just like play with my hair in in the bathroom just like dye my hair maybe like a peachy color oh you totally should peachy pink I think it would work and then especially with the roots I uh maybe I'll go back to my experimental hair colour days maybe I'll do the same although like (laughs) mine is getting blonder but it's still pretty actually on the ends it's pretty light now yeah yeah we'll see very exciting (laughs) yeah I think it's just really important if you are like us kind of feeling a bit nervous about the way that everything's being lifted and if you're somebody that's gotten very very used to having your own space and keeping your own company over the last few months it's going to be I definitely feel socially exhausted a lot sooner. Like my... um, Oh, totally. Yeah, my battery wears down a lot quicker. So I think it's definitely really important to kind of take care of yourself and like set boundaries just because other people are ready to like go to the pub Mm -hmm. or like plan loads of things. Don't feel like you have to do the same thing because I, God knows I'm not gonna... yeah totally I kind of envy people that are so eager to get back on it (laughs) yeah and like I suppose it's just more extroverted people right because that it must have been if you if you hadn't noticed Rachel and I are quite introverted (laughs) it must be yeah lockdown must be really tough on extroverted people especially extroverted people that maybe live on their own so I do understand why people like want to get out there and 
see their friends and family and have it large. (laughs) (laughs) Have it large. I'm just never going to be that person. And that is, that is something I came to terms with many years ago. (laughs) Yeah, I'm very similar. So what would your demon have been this week? Mm, I can't remember. Let me look. (laughs) I make myself laugh. I have said a mouse because we we ate so much cheese on Saturday that I feel like maybe the mouse would help me digest it, seeing as I am lactose intolerant and just still ate all the cheese anyway. Oh my God, yes. (laughs) We ate so much cheese. There's still some left, surprisingly. I'm not surprised. There was so much food. I just so much food. I we got home, so we went over to Faze, we watched Hamilton, we drank the drinks, we ate like a wanky brunch kind of situation. <laughs> yes, we did. With like with baked cheeses. It was very Faye Faye pushed out all the, all of the boats, pulled out all of the stops. There were boats without stops. It was a whole thing. <laughs> um <laughs> and yeah, me and Johnny, like, I'm so glad we walked home because I was just so full and then Johnny bought a microwave meal on the way home he was like oh I'm just that shows you that he drank more than I drank because Mm. he was just like yeah I just need to eat something so we got home I ate like a mini roll and he just sat there and ate like a microwave (laughs) curry while we watched a film when we got home it kind of astonished me because I was like how can you ever feel hungry again we have so much cheese in us I love that (laughs) amazing (laughs) yeah but yeah so I was hoping that if had a mouse demon this week it might help me digest a lot of the cheese that i've obviously still been eating because it's just in the fridge so this is the thing like i'm not a very snacky person unless snacks are there like so liam and i don't really buy a lot of snacks unless we have like people over if there are snacks in the house i will eat them all case in point for my lunch today i ate a sandwich and then there was like a half a packet of biscuits that liam got in that hamper that he got from work left and i just ate like all of them like, if it's there, I'll eat all of it. But if it's not yeah. there, I won't even think about it. So I'm just constantly eating the cheese that's left over as well. So I'm the same as you in some respects. If it's there, I'll eat all of it. If it's not there, all I will do is think about it. <laughs> <laughs> is where and how I can obtain more snacks. Mm. Mm. <laughs> yeah, if it can be snacked upon, I will snack upon it. And then when there is none left in the house, I will make the weirdest snacks <laughs> until I have time to go out and buy more snacks. Yeah. I'm such a snacker. It does depend what mood I'm in because like sometimes like I can go for weeks without thinking about like oh I'd love a snack but like certain days I'm like I want this very particular snack and I'm gonna get it otherwise I'll just be thinking about it all the time. That was me with my mini rolls. I hadn't <laughs> I haven't eaten a mini roll in years and then Johnny was like I'm going corner shop do you want anything and I was like oh my god I want a mini roll. I want one. I need a a mini mini roll. roll. (laughs) I was so happy when I got it as well. It's literally been years and years since I've even thought about having a mini roll, but it was just like, that is what I want. (laughs) Yeah, I can't remember the last time I had a mini roll either, actually. Wow. They're great. Rediscover them. (laughs) Yeah, I think I need to. We are not sponsored by mini rolls. (laughs) Oh my God, but (laughs) if they they want to. to sponsor us. (laughs) Fucking hell. I'll take it. Yes, please. (laughs) What would your demon be, Rich? I have decided my demon would be... Have you seen the fainting goats? Yes. It's, it's definitely one of those fainting goats. No. I've been, like, on the edge of panicky and just, like, very... <laughs> Partly, me and Johnny keep trying to make each other jump at the moment. <laughs> that's not good. <laughs> well, that's I not agree. helping. That can't help your panicky state. No, I know. 
I'm trying to get better at watching horror movies, so I've been watching more scary movies, so I'm existing in a slightly higher state of panic than usual because I'm not good at scary movies, and therefore when we're like switching all the lights off in the house at night, I am then... And also, we're a house that owns a lot of creepy artefacts. Yeah. <laughs> so I like switch the light off in the dining room, and there's like, my housemate has made like replica masks from movies and tv shows that he likes but that means that there's like a scary clown face in our dining room (laughs) and so like there's always like human-ish sized or head-sized things around the house so i switch the lights off and like oh god what's that oh my god (laughs) so i'm really on edge so i think the perfect demon for that would be one of those fainting goats that whenever it's jumped or like made to jump or like freak out it just like freezes and falls over on its side because i think when i was freaking out if my demon did that it would just make me laugh and it would make me feel better. That's true. Oh, Yeah, yeah. Also, Rach has been, like Rach said, she's been watching horror films and she messaged me like a couple of weeks ago being like, uh, we're thinking about watching Insidious. Like, is it scary? And I was like, yeah, maybe don't start with Insidious. It's pretty, pretty scary. Like, it get, And then it I watched get, it anyway. <laughs> yeah. It gets a bit stupid towards the end. But I remember seeing it when it came out in the cinema and fucking loving it. And I haven't seen it in a long time, so I don't know how I'd feel about it now. But it was it like defied a lot of horror tropes, and I really enjoyed that. So there's a particular bit where there's like a guy like pacing, he's supposed to be like a ghost, pacing back and forth behind the window, and the Rose Byrne is the lead, right? Yeah. Yeah. And she's like looking into the bedroom, and normally in a film that would just be a creepy moment where you'd see somebody like walking back and forth but he like fucking comes through the window and like pins her up against the wall and i was like this is fucking amazing and then it goes off the rails at the end but there's a lot of like stuff that you're not the end of the film my housemate sarah she was the one that was like oh i quite fancy watching it again because she was like an absolute like horror movie obsessed like goth child so she was like oh the end of this film is like a marilyn manson music video yes it is but also, by the time it hit towards the end, it feels more like an episode of something like Supernatural or something because everything is very much out in the open yeah. and a bit trippy and a bit like, okay, there's still jump scares and it's still like, jump scares is what gets me because I think it's just because it raises your adrenaline. Mm-hmm. There was um, enough of it that was just like, oh, that's a cool makeup. Yeah. Or like, oh, look at that. Yeah, look at the design of that creature character. It's so interesting. And I love, I love like creepy designs and creepy creatures and stuff. I just don't like being made to jump. <laughs> Uh, I love how different we are. You hate it and I love it because nothing makes me jump anymore. Like, it annoys me. So I think it was our friend Matt sent me, uh, like, he's obsessed with TikTok. <laughs> he sent me a TikTok video. And it was like, do you know one of those from, like, the fucking 90s where you'd be, like, watching a car go up a mountain and then a face I would remember come that one. Yeah, right? So it's like that. But, like, I don't know. The TikTokers have found, have found it and made it better. So, like... I assumed it was just going to be a funny video and then something jumped out and it made me jump and I was like, yes! First time in fucking ages (laughs) that something had made me jump and I was like, yes, I fucking love this shit. I just don't like being made to jump. I also think jump scares are lazy. Like, I'd rather be freaked out by something being, like, weird. Like, that's why I love Midsummer and I Mm. really enjoyed Hereditary because there's not too many jump scares. There's a lot of stuff where you, it's just there and you notice it Mm. and 
you're like, oh my god. In fairness, but it didn't like jump out at you with a big like violin chord behind yeah. it. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff. Like, I know that Insidious does have its jump scares, but there's a lot of stuff like that in Insidious where you wouldn't notice it. Yeah. Um, a lot of stuff that happens in broad daylight that kind of freaks me out a little bit more. Yeah. There's um. I think if if jump scares are done well, then they're really effective. But when you just put them in for like a cheap scare, then it's shit. So like, there's the third Exorcist film. Because there's three of them. I think there's more than three, actually. Um, I can't remember the plot of the film at all. The only thing I can remember is one of my favourite scenes, actually, from a horror film. Because it's so... Just so simple, but so effective. It's like a jump scare, but it's the music. So it's like... They're, they're in a hospital. I don't know why. It's like a nunnery, but with a hos- in a hospital. And there's a man walking down the corridor. And it like gives you like a couple of seconds. And then a nun, like all in white, like walks out right behind him and she's walking really fast and it's so fucking creepy and the music's amazing and that's a really good jump scare um but yeah i know what you mean in the sense of like when they just put jump after jump after jump so that it's so that people go away going like that was a really good horror film and it's like well actually was it was it clever no probably not yeah yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Me and my fainting goat have been watching horror films. <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> and struggling. <laughs> I feel like I should do a fucking horror film podcast. I got very passionate I mean, then. <laughs> maybe a Halloween special. <gasps> oh, that'd be so like, fun. a vote and do like a little Halloween <gasps> special. Oh my God. Yes. Please. Can we do that? But for the scariest thing so that yes. Rich has to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Okay. Should, should we do a podcast, Faye? <laughs> Let's do a podcast. Let's get into it. For the last time in this in this book, let's get into it. Ah. Last chapter, Lyra was working by Thorold to find Roger had been taken by Azriel. Lyra, Yorick, and the bears went after Azriel, but were caught halfway there in a fight with some witches and an airship. Yorick took Lyra as close as he could to Azriel while the bears continued to fight. They reached a bridge that Yorick couldn't cross, and Lyra was left to continue alone. In the final chapter of Northern Lights, our dear darling Roger is murdered by Azriel. Oh, oh Roger. No. <laughs> the energy released by his death creates a bridge to the city in the Aurora. Mrs. Coulter arrives and Azriel tries to convince her to go into the other world with him. She refuses and he goes alone. Lyra and Pan decide that they will try to find the source of dust before Azriel does and walk over the bridge and into the city in the sky. Do you know, I said I, I thought to myself, oh, I don't like I don't feel like I didn't feel super emotional when I was reading it. I was like, oh, I don't know if I'll get emotional. And then as soon as I said that Roger was murdered, I could feel tears in my oh, eyes already. Girl. I'm like, oh my god, I'm gonna cry. I know. I, I was reading this chapter and I was thinking, where is the emotion? Like, it feels really yeah. matter of fact, and I feel like we'll get to this when it kind of happens as well, but I really feel like we've been robbed of a grieving moment. Yeah. And I feel like that's why we had such a strong moment last chapter. Mm. Do you know interesting? And again, we'll probably get more into it when we get to it. But if you remember when we interviewed Daphne and she said that when she read this final chapter, she didn't even really realise Roger had died until further on in the chapter where I think it says that um, Lyra's holding his body. And I had the same experience, especially when I first read it. I was like okay cool and then you get a bit further in the chapter and it's like lyra's holding roger's body and you're like what the fuck roger's dead yeah and i had the same i had to go back and look and i was like oh shit 
Like, and I don't know, like, if it was done intentionally, but because there was, there's so much going on, like, there's so much confusion, like, Lyra's trying to save Roger, but at the same time, she's trying to, like, Asriel and Coulter are having a moment over there, there's a fucking bridge in the sky, like, it's so confusing. And I don't know if it was done intentionally, but I was just a bit like, oh, like, this isn't as emotional as I would have thought. I think it very much frames Roger as like an afterthought Mm. for everybody, which is really, really shit for him, but it kind of really emphasises how like unimportant he is to people like Asriel and Coulter, who are absolute asshats, (sighs) which we will also get to. Should we kind of start at the beginning and express all of our feelings as we go along? Is that how how this podcast works? (laughs) I think so. I think it is. I think it is. Okay. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Okay, so... We start, right? And we're starting from the same point that we left off last chapter. So Lyra's at the other side of the big crevice that's now not there. The bridge that was there is now not there. Yorick's on the other side. And she watches Yorick out of sight. And then she starts to feel, like, really weak. Like, I think it all kind of, like, hits her, doesn't it? About, like, how fucking exhausted she is and how she's on her own. And she has to continue by herself. It is amazing that Lyra has gotten this far without having had this reaction yet. Oh, totally. Like, this is the first time we've seen her falter. Like, she's felt a bit lost before. She's maybe felt a bit vulnerable before. But, like, I genuinely feel like she's so close to giving up at this point. And she actually says, um, it's too much for us. We can't do it. And I wish it was someone else instead of me. Yeah. And that's... It's so much for her to bear. Like, she's so small and she's on her own again after all of this stuff that's happened. And honestly, I'm surprised that she's not had this reaction sooner. Like, she's been she's been through so much. And the fact that this is the final straw, just, like, physically getting up this hill yeah, as well, is, like, it's such a small, not such a small thing that's kind of finally breaking her down a bit, but, like, it's the culmination of everything. And it's really... I just want to sweep her up and, like help her out yeah me too i love how because i feel like although we love a a pullman metaphor and simile i really like how we see it through lyra's eyes and it it's used her dialogue to literally just say i wish it was someone else instead of me and like we can't do this i think it kind of illustrates more how horrible the situation is and how exhausted they are they can't even be asked to beat around the bush. Like, Philip can't beat around the bush at this point. It's just like, I don't want to fucking do this. I wish it was somebody else instead of me. It's so blunt. It's yeah. so right for the moment because it's just really raw. Yeah. Pan comforts her. She doesn't know what to do. Like we said, it's too much for them. And she's rocking back and forth and sobbing. Uh, she asks Pan a bunch of questions that he can't answer. She says, and even if Mrs. Coulter got to Roger first, there'd be no saving him because she'd take him back to Bolvanga or worse, and they'd kill me out of vengeance. Why do they do these things to children, Pan? Do they all hate children so much that they want to tear them apart like this? Why do they do it? And Pan can't answer her. All he could do was hug her close. I mean, that's kind of the big question, isn't it? Like, and it's such a helpless question. Yeah. Yeah, it really kind of gets me. And it is just like, yeah, why do they do this? Why are children the innocent victims in this? Like, we 
throughout this entire book, we've not really had an explanation. Like, they've kind of said, like, oh, it's because of this, that, and the other with dust. But, like, why are children so often the collateral damage in this equation? Yeah. And why is it that the people in Lyra's life, she is a child. Why is it the people in her life that are so shitty with children? Like, poor fucking Lyra. I know. I know. Bless her. (laughs) There's a turn of phrase in this next little bit that makes me think that maybe what Lyra is experiencing is a little bit like a panic attack. Mm. Because little by little, as the storm of fear subsided, she came to a sense of herself again. Mm. And I just think that just fully sounds like a mini panic attack or breakdown to me of just like yeah. feeling everything so suddenly all at once and too much and she's already had that happen once back at lord asriel's snow house i don't know <laughs> i don't know what we call it his like lab she already yeah, had yeah. that kind of like overwhelming feeling and she's just getting a lot of overwhelming emotions recently yeah totally i'm and really wa- feeling for her <laughs> yeah and warranted as well think of everything that she's been through there's a bit here that i really like so it says after the bit that you just mentioned, she was Lyra, cold and frightened by all means, but herself. She's so strong. She is. This is the thing. And like, she's been so strong and so like, she's had a very stiff upper lip for a lot mm. of the book so far. She's not like felt her emotions and the strength and the power that comes from feeling your emotions. And I really love that this final chapter, when she needs that strength to go on, she is feeling her feelings and like, there's a lot of power behind that and I really like that definitely and I also really like how she I probably mentioned this before but like how she's like 12 13 years old and she knows herself so well and she's like I know that she had a a, like a wobble that we've just mentioned about being so upset and saying that they can't go on but she comes to herself and herself is enough she's like she's herself again she can do it now and I'm like that's not something that I experienced when I was a teenager at all. 100%. You just said she's just got herself and that's enough. Flashback to season two of Buffy the Vampire Slayer when they're like, take away all that and what's left? And Buffy like catches the sword and she's like, me. me. That's Lyra right now. She's yes, on her own. Everyone's yeah. been taken away. The support system she's built through this entire book is gone and she is Lyra and Pan against the world again. And what's left? Lyra and Pan. And yes. she like grabs the sword and looks epic and any Buffy fans out there, I hope you appreciate that I just like caught that and it was really good. Oh, <laughs> totally. Yeah, totally. There's a lot of parallels actually between Lyra and Buffy. And I'm sure as we get further into the series as a whole, we'll draw like more comparison to them. But yeah, totally. Love that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <sighs> so uh she so this is actually quite quite a sad moment in a way she starts to wish for something and then stops herself because there's nothing to be gained from wishing and when i was reading it i was just like wow like remember how much she used to wish like earlier in the book like she wished that uh, Azriel and mrs coulter would get together and they'd all fly off in lee scoresby's balloon and like all those things that she's been wishing for like during the entire book and that's just gone now and it's like a real parallel to like her childhood really like how can she go back to being a normal child after this yeah it's a real like crushing of that childhood like sense yeah. of magic i don't think she believes in fairies anymore oh <laughs> except for they probably do exist in yeah. women's universes so. <laughs> yeah but yeah that kind of vibe oh the aurora is still blazing bright the sky is really really dark it's beautiful there's some brilliant descriptions here she's climbing and she's climbing and all around her we get this great description of like 
Uh, behind her lies the like frozen tundra, the frozen sea, nothing, lifeless, colorless. To the east are more mountains, jagged peaks, sharply like spiked upwards. And to the south is where she's come from. She looks longingly back, thinking of Yorick and the bears. She can't even like see the wreckage of the Zeppelin or like the crimson on the snow of the battle that's occurred. Like she's so far from everything. She's so isolated. She's so alone. And Pan swoops up and lets her know that they're just beyond the peak. She's nearly there. She's weary. She's like slogged through. She's slogged up this hill. It's taken all of her energy. And they're just beyond the peak. She's so close to Roger and Asriel. Pan says something interesting, but it's kind of cut, it's cut off by the aurora flickering and dimming and then going out. But he says, they're just beyond the peak, he said. Lord Asriel's laid out all his instruments and Roger can't move away. So interesting mm. that they've got Roger like trapped somehow. It's an interesting like turn of phrase to use to say like Roger can't move away. And then obviously we'll learn a bit later on why. Yeah. So yeah, the aurora, it flickers and dims and then it goes out altogether. It says, this is interesting, it says, In the gloom there, Lyra sends the presence of dust, for the air seemed to be full of dark intentions, like the forms of thoughts not yet born. And it made me think about the ending of this book and how... Lyra and Pan have that conversation that we'll get to about how dust might not be bad. Mm -hmm. Uh, It might be a good thing. But then here it says that it feels like dark intentions. And I'm just wondering if that's something that Lyra is like projecting onto it. So like it probably feels in, it feels something, but it doesn't mean it has to be dark. Like it doesn't have to feel like dark intentions. Is that something that she's putting onto the the dust itself because of how she thinks about it at this moment because all she's heard is that it's a bad thing. Yeah, it could be her projecting onto it. It also could be her just picking up all of the bad vibes wafting off of Asriel <laughs> and assuming it's dust. It's all those bad true. vibes like wafting down the hillside. True, very true, yeah. That's, Amazing. Yeah, it could be definitely either. <laughs> yeah, I love that. She hears a child's cry. Roger's shouting, Lyra, Lyra. No. She is like struggling. This is so reminiscent of like dreams that you've had where you're like just struggling to, like, you know, when the air feels like treacle. And this description of her, she stumbles upwards, clambering, sprawling, struggling at the end of her strength, but hauling herself on further and further through the ghostly gleaming snow. The urgency she must be feeling and the difficulty with which she must be moving is like nightmarish. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and then Pan's like changing and she can hear him shout, she can hear Roger shouting and Pan's like changing through all of the forms he's ever been. And like she's hearing Roger and she finally reaches the summit and she sees what's happening and laid out before her is this scene. 50 yards away in the starlight, Lord Asriel was twisting together two wires that led to an upturned sledge on which stood a row of batteries, jars and pieces of apparatus already frosted with crystals of cold. He was dressed in heavy furs, his face illuminated by the flame of a naphtha lamp. Crouching like a sphinx beside him was his demon, her beautiful spotted coat glossy with power, her tail moving lazily in the snow. And in her mouth, she held Roger's demon. Put her down! Put her down. Put her fucking down! Bad (laughs) Stell! Ugh. Yeah. I love the turn of phrase, glossy with power. Yeah. It's fancy. She's a fancy bitch and I'm here for it. But put down that demon. Put it down. Oh, so. And then this, 
this bit is fucking horrible. And this is another reason, definitely one of the strongest reasons why I don't understand how anyone can like Asriel. So... The little creature was struggling, flapping, fighting, one moment a bird, the next a dog, then a cat, a rat, a bird again, and calling every moment to Roger himself, who was a few yards off, straining, trying, uh, straining, trying to pull away against a heart-deep tug and crying out with the pain and the cold. He was calling his demon's name and calling Lyra. He ran to Lord Asriel and plucked his arm, and Lord Asriel brushed him aside. He tried again, crying and pleading, begging, sobbing, and Lord Asriel took no notice except to knock him to the ground. What the fuck? Absolutely. Do one. Get out of here, Lord Asriel. I have no time for you. So heartless. It's fucking devastating. Like, what... I've I've said what the fuck in reference to Asriel so many times, but what the fucking fuck? (laughs) So many of my notes are just what the fuck. Uh, I... I, I can't like how can you do that to a fucking child like and right you're ignoring him anyway is there any need to fucking knock him to the ground as well it's not like you can go anywhere once again it's that thing of Lyra's going how can they do this to children clearly in the eyes of someone like Lord Asriel children are objects collateral yeah, damage totally unimportant Roger is clearly a nuisance that he doesn't give a crap about brushing to one side because his sights are set on greater things because he's such a great guy can't get over how much he just cannot treat children like they're humans Mm. he's done it to lyra and now he's doing it to roger and it's so heartbreaking to hear about how hard lyra is trying how hard roger is trying the struggle and the emotion behind what they're doing and just the lack of emotion in asriel i'd love to get an asriel backstory (laughs) what's his damage (laughs) yeah right what's your childhood trauma literally yeah like what happened to him when he was a kid or growing up that is then informed his later life because i don't understand how one person can just be so fucking horrific yeah they're on the edge of a cliff uh, with nothing else around um and and asriel starts connecting his wires the aurora comes back to life we learn he's controlling it yeah or we think he is controlling it or drawing power from it or something and then yeah. we find out that he's just got like a witch pal that's helped him right? with this this is the thing like I com- she never gets mentioned again <laughs> right i completely forgot about this like Same. obviously they don't do it in the tv show because i assume it was just it would have been too much to just animate another demon when you're not even going to meet the witch it just seems pointless yeah. but yeah it's such a little thing that like is there and then it's gone they just basically they just needed a thing. How is he going to get his wires up into the sky? Oh, we'll just use a witch's demon. Also, just another adult complicit to the abuse of children. Oh yeah, whatever. totally. You know, fine. Ugh, <laughs> get out. <laughs> God, Asriel's nearly ready, and he beckons for Roger, and Roger goes to him, and he's he's crying and begging again. Oh, and Lyra screams at him not to, and runs down the slope towards him, and then Pan, bless Pan's little heart. Uh, leaps at style and snatches Roger's demon from her. So both the demons are free. Yep. Brilliant. They yes. get into an epic fight. They're fighting Stelmaria off together. And Lyra and Roger are fighting too, but it's not really clear what they're fighting against. There's like mm. forms in the turbid air. Dark intentions are coming like thick and crowding down the streams of dust. And it's just really odd the way it's described. It's like, again, I imagine people like fighting to get through treacle. 
Yeah, it's this, weird, like, isn't it? haze of confusion around it. I w- I'm wondering if it's like a feeling or if it's visible. So, you know, they're talking about dust and they're saying that they can like feel the dark intentions. Like, is it visible? Can they actually see, it says fighting the forms in the turbid air. Can they actually see forms? Is it forming like different shapes or do we think that it's just a feeling? Yeah, it's really hard to tell, isn't it? Yeah, it is strange. In general, the paragraph is like a sense of like fighting and like overwhelming it's, it's overwhelming and it's chaotic and that's yeah. really difficult to piece what's happening together. And I think that's what like helps to kind of disguise the fact that something traumatic is happening as well. Yeah. So the aurora is swaying above them and there's these like different like shapes and images being picked out by the lights of the aurora, like different things from this city in the sky that's looking more and more solid with like every minute. They like Lyra grabs Roger's hand and pulls him away do you know what threw me off about that is that it says she leapt up and seized roger's hand i'm like where was roger's hand that she had to jump to grab it i think the whole thing's happening on like a slope of this like mountainside isn't it i guess so it's whether they're up or down the slope yeah it threw me off i was like is is he flying is he in the air (laughs) yeah she like initially leaps down the slope to get to Azrael and Roger, and then now she's leaping up the slope to grab him. It's very confusing. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is. Oh, it's, it's so much. <clears throat> Lyra leaps up and seizes Roger's hand. She pulls hard, and they tore away from Lord Azrael and ran hand in hand. And oh my god, you think they're going to make it? But Roger mm. cried again and twisted because the leopard had his demon again and Lyra knew that heart-convulsing pain and tried to stop, but they couldn't stop. The cliff was sliding away beneath them, an entire shelf of snow sliding inexorably down, the frozen sea a thousand feet below. And then it's just Lyra in capital letters. Heart beats, tight clutching hands, and high above, the greatest wonder, the vault of heaven, star-studded, profound, was suddenly pierced as if by a spear. And it's like, there's this like massive epic thing happening. But like in the like macro, is that is macro the big one? Yeah. So yeah, there's this like world altering shift of like something has pierced the heavens. This veiled city has been unveiled. A bridge has been built by this like insane release of power. But on the micro... Lyra is holding Roger's hand. Their hearts are beating. Like, it's so close and so scary. And it's so, like, it's really hard to tell what's going on because there's this, like, big picture drawing your focus. Yeah. These, like, like they said, like, wonders above, but something horrific happening at home. This is a thing. This is where Roger dies, but it's not obvious that he's dead until we... I think it's on the next page where it says that Lyra's holding his body. But... It reminds me, and I mentioned this in the TV show episode that we did on this, but it's very uh, Spider-Man slash Gwen Stacy in the sense that Roger, for the if we take so if we take Asriel out of the equation for for a second, that Asriel would if if Roger had survived this fall, um, Asriel probably would have got him and and done the thing anyway, but. The reason why Roger is dead is because Lyra pulled him away and then they fell, the like snow came away on the cliff and they fell down together and that separated him from his demon. And although it's in no way Lyra's fault, she will feel guilt for that. 
more than likely. And it's very Spider-Man slash Gwen Stacy. So if you don't know, there's a comic, it's the Amazing Spider-Man comic, and it is where Gwen Stacy has like fallen off of something. I think it's to do with the Green Goblin. And Spider-Man shoots a web at her to stop her from hitting the floor, but he it basically the the impact of her falling and then the web clutching to her breaks her back because it like yonks her back up and she dies. And yeah, spider So she would have died if she hit the floor. Yeah. But also him being not quite perfectly timed with his web snap killed her. Yeah. And so it's that thing of like Roger would have died anyway, but Lyra being the one dragging him down the mountain and the mountain falling away underneath them or the snow falling away underneath them is what killed him. I'd like to say actually... Stel Maria killed Roger by grabbing the demon. Yeah. But also Lyra's going to feel guilty because there's it takes two to tango. It takes two to pull someone away from the demon. Definitely. And just poor Lyra. Has she not got enough fucking shit going on anyway? Oh my God. Her baggage is getting bigger and bigger. It's true. <laughs> and poor little Roger and how much we loved him. And justice for, Ro- justice for Roger was, has, not, has not happened. There has been no justice right. for Roger. And I think also it's not necessarily registered for Lyra either. Totally. In that minute. Like, so he screams Lyra, they're falling, suddenly there's this burst of energy. And then there's this beautiful description of like sheets of light and colour that were the aurora tore apart, a great rending, grinding, crunching, tearing sound from one end of the universe to the other. There was dry land in the sky, sunlight. Sunlight shining on the fur of a golden monkey. Oh fucking hell! Well, this is the thing, isn't it? It's like this As is if why it wasn't you... enough. I know, right? For fuck's sake, do we have to have that fucking little monkey prick back too? Is it? Oh, so like, there's God. this world-altering, like ends of the universe are feeling the effects of this thing, and then it keeps going like macro, micro, macro, micro. Yeah, so it's like wow, oh, universal. Oh, fur of a golden monkey. Your fave babe is back. It's culture in the house. Uh, <laughs> like, oh god. So like, there's so much going on for Lyra to register that I don't even know if she's fully realised that Roger is gone. Or if yeah. she has, it's so much that it's not registering because she's in so much shock. Well, totally. And it's, she's in so much shock. And also, she's now seeing her parents together, uh, her parents together for the first time ever in her life. Mm-hmm. So that's just another thing added on top of the shock and everything that's happened. Uh, yeah, God. Lyra could see over the trampled snow of the summit the golden monkey spring out of the air to the side of the leopard and she saw the two demons bristle, wary and powerful. The monkey's tail was erect, the snow leopard swept powerfully from side to side. Then the monkey reached out a tentative paw and the leopard lowered her head with a graceful, sensual acknowledgement. They touched. Oh my goodness! (laughs) I have so much to say about these two demons because it just, honestly, more than anything, it just made me laugh. Me too. I guess it is like a bit of comic relief, right? <laughs> to like imagine a monkey and a snow leopard like doing all this shit is so funny. <laughs> it's just, it's very, it's very odd. <laughs> so odd. So odd. So we learn the reason why they're doing this is because Lyra looks up and she sees that Mrs. Coulter is clasped in Azriel's arms. Um, and I really like this quote. It says, light played around them like sparks and beams of intense ambaric power. And it really just makes me think, I bet there's some like amazing fan art of that moment. Mm-hmm. I will find it. I will find it and post it this Friday. And yeah, obviously Mrs. Coulter must have cost, uh, sorry, Mrs. Coulter must have crossed that fucking crevice somehow. Like, so we know the bridge fell down. How did she get across? 
Who knows? Maybe she's got like an inspector gadget, like retractable ladder that she can shoot across, or like a harpoon gun. She can like uh, she's epic. She 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 can do whatever she wants. <laughs> she's got some shit going on. Yeah. There's just, there's just like a one-liner where she's just like her own parents together. And in my head, I was like, this is like the weirdest parent trap film you've ever seen. <laughs> like, this is technically what Lyra was dreaming of in like the third chapter when she's like, oh my God, imagine if Azriel and Coulter could meet. And it's like her biggest dream of like, oh my God, a mom and a dad, like the family I've always wanted. And her worst nightmare, her best friend slash basically brother is yeah. dead. All in like, moments yeah it's just such a like it's such a mindfuck but also just that one liner of like her own parents together is just like is this the worst planned parent trap ever or (laughs) (laughs) it also just makes me think that lyra whenever you get back to jordan you're gonna need some intense therapy and i hope you get it Mm -hmm. it's gonna take you a lot of years to work through all this horrific trauma that you're going through right now also, I bet she feels bad now for, like, thinking badly of um, the master and the librarian, who are the best dads in the world. Tech, like, okay, pretty much emotionally inept, like, stuffy scholars, but how much better are they than your abusive parents, <laughs> who are definitely the scariest people? <laughs> yeah, totally. And this is where, for me, when I first read the book, it was obvious that Roger was dead. Mm-hmm. Her eyes were wide. Roger's body lay dead in her arms, still quiet at rest. And I remember <laughs> just being like, oh, he's, he's, he's dead. He's gone. Yeah. R.I.P. Roger. Justice oh. for Roger. Justice for Roger. Oh, Roger. Like, imagine the trauma of fucking holding your dead best friend. Oh my god. It's too, it, is, it is too much. It's too much for one person to cope with. And yes, she will need a lot of therapy. Totally. Um, and it's this juxtaposition of like her parents are embracing passionately. Yeah. There's this like, there's this weird like sexual tension and passion occurring throughout the rest of the next few pages in combination with this really cold, harsh, devastating reality that mm-hmm. is Roger is dead. And it's really, Philip's done such a great job of making you feel really like too many emotions to function properly while reading this chapter. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Because like you're devastated. This kid that we've spent the entire book trying to save is dead. Lyra's mission is not accomplished. Yeah. She's like, in a way, like she's failed. Yeah. She didn't save him. She didn't do what she set out to do. And the two like villains of the book slash one of them you've been told to think is a hero for the whole book are now like having this really weird sexually tensioned interaction that is very, very odd. (laughs) And then it's just... Like it's it's a lot to pass and it's a lot of like juxtaposition of emotions because it'll be like focusing on this conversation with Azriel and Calder, snap back, Roger's still dead. Yeah. Focusing on the conversation with Azriel and Ah, Roger's still dead. And it's really it's really hard to like set where your emotions want to sit while you're reading it because you're just being like yo-yoed around. Yeah, it yeah, definitely. And then that like you said, it's clever it's clever from from Philip because it's basically what's happening in the in the story. This is we're experiencing it through Lyra, and all this shit is happening to her. So therefore, it's happening to us as well. And it's just like, oh fucking hell, what the fuck is going on? So this is when Azrael and Mrs. Coulter have a big conversation, really, <laughs> about lots of things. So Lyra hears them talking, and 
they're basically Mrs. Coulter is basically saying to Azrael, they're not going to allow it. They're not going to let you cross over. They're not going to let anyone cross over into this other world that the bridge has just been built into. Um, and he's kind of saying, "Fuck them! Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going anyway, and they can't he's stop like, me." It's bigger than them. I'm yeah. bigger than them. <laughs> kind of. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's very odd because he goes from like, "Yes, my mission," and then he's like, "Look at the light up there." that sun it's the sun of another world Mm. feel the warmth on your skin now (laughs) it's a really odd like use of now it's very his language towards mrs coulter is very emotionally manipulative and demanding and like so you get the impression that he's like oh i'm so dominant i'm such a dom 100 we know coulter is definitely a dumb like yeah it's, it's two tops trying to interact and it's it, just not working it is. it is and he's trying to top he's trying to be such a top and like it's just i don't enjoy the demandingness of it and the way that he's like consistently negging her yeah and then being demanding and then being like slightly aggressively sexual with her and then it's a really toxic relationship dynamic and you can see why they didn't work out totally and also You're totally right in it being two tops trying to interact. But also you can see how Azriel has worn down Mrs. Coulter in the past because she, you can tell she's very conflicted about what is being said to her. He is so like, you will do this and you will do that and come with me and blah, blah, blah. We'll do this together. And she is admirably saying no, but you can tell it's taken a toll on her emotionally and she's trying to work through it as best she can without giving into that emotional manipulation that she must have been on the other end of for God knows how many months, years, whatever, that they were together. Mm. And again, it's that like combination of macro and micro of like the micro is their relationship and their like interpersonal reaction. And the macro is like the church, the whole issue with dust. Yeah. Like this massive ambition that they've got. And she's kind of, she's kind, it's like she's saying the script. She's like, you know, they won't let you like are you trying to like choke the world with sin and darkness why are you trying to like poke poke the bear like poke this dust issue you're gonna make everything worse like the church doesn't approve and he's like screw the church screw all of that and then is also like emotionally manipulating manipulating her and being like come with me you love me yeah also he calls her marissa Mm. and that's the first time we learn her first name is it? I think so, yeah. So when I was reading it, it, it I hope I'm right. When I was reading it, it like really stuck out to me because um, I, I was like, I don't think we've heard that before. And then I went back to have a look because I figured the only person that would probably call her by her first name is probably someone like Boreal. So I went back to the cocktail party chapter to see and he calls her Mrs. Coulter. So I am pretty sure it's the first time we learn her first name. Which also I've fucking love that considering Azriel totally points out that she's been banging Boreal and fucking still love that. calls her Mrs. Coulter that's how you know she's a top outside yes. of the relationship <laughs> yeah mm. oh, love that we'll get there but also he's like I don't care about that by the way and it's like you clearly fucking do otherwise you wouldn't have brought it up don't stop slut shaming your ex-girlfriend like get out of here and like you wouldn't have brought it up if you didn't care like it's so uh, fucking uh, he's so sour about it yeah I'm just like ah fuck you that's real fucking oh God, we're it. getting way ahead of ourselves we are. anyway like so <laughs> this is a bit where it's a bit like sexually aggressive so like he like you mentioned he pushes her hood back and turns her head to the sky, running his hands through her hair. Ew, don't fucking touch me. 
<laughs> also, poor Lyra watching this. Also traumatising is watching your estranged parents interacting in a really sexual way. Yeah, and Mrs. Calder, she's clinging to Asriel, um, and she, but she's shaking her head and just, and she's distressed. And this is what is vile about it because she's clearly, she clearly doesn't want this physical contact that he is subjecting her to. But he clearly, also clearly, does not give a shit, and he can see that she's distressed, and he doesn't care. Mm. She's obviously distressed about other things too, but I don't think I'd want the man that's emotionally manipulating me to fucking put his hands all over my head and shit and like force my head to look to the sky. It's that weird thing of like you get an impression of what their relationship dynamic might have been like previously, even when it was in a slightly healthier space. Mm. Is that maybe there is this level of like vulnerability and helplessness to Mrs. Coulter in some aspects of her personality that for some reason he is able to tap into? Yeah. It's this whole idea of her being like kind of un- under his thrall just a little bit, but she's so self empowered now outside of that relationship. And I think she's become her own person and she is able to kind of resist it. So you can tell that there's this like, oh my gosh, I was once so besotted with you. Yeah, yeah. There is still this pull here. But also, I'm my own goddamn woman and I built a life after you left, so... <laughs> I don't need um, you anymore. Exactly. And then they go on to bitch about Lyra in front of, basically in front of her. I don't know if they just assume that Lyra's died when she plummeted off that cliff or what, but Asriel is really harsh about Lyra when she's definitely in earshot. <laughs> And also, he's again just manipulating Mrs. Coulter and just, like, emotionally abusing her. Like, saying things like, your child would dare anything and shame her mother. What's the other bit? You want her still? Twice you've tried to hold her and twice she's got away. If I were her, I'd run and keep on running sooner that than give you a third chance. Is it a little taste of, oh my gosh, you're really pretty, will you go out with me? Oh no, sorry, I'm not interested. Oh, you're fat and ugly and I didn't want you anyway. Yeah. Like, he's like, come with me, please come with me. Like, let's go into this new world together. And she's like, oh, honestly, I really actually don't want to. Like, it doesn't, it's not where I want my life to go right now. And he's yeah. like, oh, well, you, you were a rubbish mum anyway. Like, you kid, you kid never loved you. And it's like, that's kind of not really relevant, hun. Like, you just got rejected. Accept it. Get over it. Yeah. He's a fragile, 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 fragile little man. And he can't <laughs> handle being rejected. <sighs> Such as real loathing. But yeah, it it does just stink of somebody that's sour about getting rejected. And I 100%, like, Coulter is not a good person. We're not necessarily landing on her side here. Like, obviously, there's a whole Coulter dynamic that we have had throughout where we are big fans of the character as a villainous character that she is and as a complex female character that she is. But... She's still not standing on the side of good in any of this situation. Lyra is watching two villains interact in a way that's really weird. It's such an interesting thing to happen at the end of a book as well. Yeah. The thing that gets that I see the difference in between Mrs. Coulter and Asriel is that Mrs. Coulter is a villain, and we've known that from the very beginning. Asriel is painted to be a hero. Mm-hmm. And he's not, and he's just as fucking bad than uh, as Mrs. Coulter. But you can appreciate Mrs. Coulter as your standard villain and obviously there's depth to her and and she's very like you said she's a complex character but there are actually like as is painted as being this fucking hero and we should all look up to him and blah 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 
and 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 that like we've discussed before that is in in a way a very good thing because he's such a complex character but it's easier to fall down on the side of like yeah mrs colt is a dick but we can relate to her human side because that's what you do with villains you try and like get to their human side but because it's the opposite for Azrael. like he's painted as a hero and it's like actually no he's fucking horrendous and he's emotionally manipulative and he's an abuser that's true if we had been reading these books from the point of view of lyra and like completely disregarding our own opinion about the way he's treated people so far last chapter and this chapter would have been like a massive reveal yeah we'd have been like oh my god this guy we've been looking up to for the whole book has just done these horrific things can we get over it i don't know but because we're both not team asriel we've kind of come into it and been like oh god typical asriel look at how much of a dick he is but actually if you've been reading the books and kind of siding with lyra's opinion of him thus far it's a bit of a shocker really (laughs) that he's being so mean (laughs) that is very true very true this is like the big reveal that asriel's not a chill guy (laughs) yeah totally we find out Coulter is still looking for Lyra. She says, like, Lyra was too coarse and too stubborn and that she'd, like, left it too late. But she's like, oh, but where is she now? I followed her footsteps here. Where is she? And Asriel doesn't bother telling her, oh, your daughter fell off a cliff just now when I killed her best friend. He's like, oh, why do you still want her? If I were her, I'd run and keep running. And after this really, really harsh statement, he's, like, holding her by the head and then just suddenly kisses her. And Lyra says, Lyra thought it seemed more like cruelty than love and looked at their demons to see a strange sight. The snow leopard, tense, crouching with her claws just pressing in the golden monkey's flesh and the monkey relaxed, blissful, swooning on the snow. This is so strange because you've got like the top half of... I could just see Rich like shaking her head. I'm doing a lot of gesticulation to try and display my emotions. Like the top half of this paragraph... It's sexual abuse. He's kissing her. She doesn't want it. Lyra thinks it looks more like cruelty than love. And then you get the rest of this paragraph about these demons just like weirdly like touching each other and swooning. And it's so obviously it illustrates that Mrs. Coulter's conflicted. She doesn't want this to happen, but obviously the golden monkey is kind of betraying her emotions a little bit here by swooning in the snow. But also, I also think it kind of shows who, and there's a bit later where the monkey has more of the power, but it kind of shows who has the power here. So like the snow leopard tense, crouching with her claws, just pressing in the monkey's flesh. So the monkey's got no power here. The Stelmaria has got the power. And it's the same with Azriel and Mrs. Coulter at this point as well. You get a really interesting impression of like the intensity of their relationship as well. And that it is a lot to do with like, a power dynamic and that the sexual tension that exists between them is very heavily like embedded within the power dynamics they hold between each other yeah and but it makes also it's the layer of, of abusiveness that makes it really hard to be like because if you were to kind of gloss over the way that as asriel is being like emotionally and physically manipulative and ab- abusive at the moment you could be like oh this is quite the kink <laughs> do you know what I mean like there's a like a really like controlled level of like simmering sexual tension occurring and it's like oof. if you kind of ignore the fact that there's a snow leopard and monkey very strange but <laughs> the moment you add that in you go oh my gosh like this is unhealthy this relationship yep. 
is yeah. not yeah it's just and, not healthy <laughs> and the fact as well that like the Stel Maria, it says crouching with her claws just pressing in the golden monkey's flesh that is literally on the edge of physically hurting the monkey so you can see how how much tension is between them that they're cons like they're constantly on the edge of or at this point Azrael is constantly on the edge of potentially hurting Mrs. Coulter which is kind of what you said makes it just all the more horrendous and vile he says come and work with me and she's like we couldn't work together i think we've established that they do not they're not a good pairing he it's very much this like power couple vibe he's like oh you and i could take the universes to pieces and put it back together again marissa we could find the source of dust and stifle it forever and you'd like to be a part of that great work. Don't lie to me about it. Lie to me about everything else. <laughs> lie about the ablation board. Lie about your lovers. Yes, I know about Boreal and I care nothing. Lie about the church. Lie about the child even. But don't lie to me about what you truly want. And he's such a drama queen. And I, I know we said it earlier, but I'm just going to fucking say it again. You wouldn't fucking bring it up if you don't care. He's like, right? yeah, I know about Boreal and I don't care. And it's like, you clearly fucking do, mate. <laughs> he cares so much but it's just it's so dramatic and it's so like ooh, let's have this power together and then this weird statements of like you can i'm gonna make all these statements about you and what you're lying about and i know the real you and like just somebody telling you that like imagine if somebody like cracked that shit out on tinder at you oh, like God. it's a really you take it out of the context of the epicness of this book and he's such a dramatic just such a dramatic person mm. like it's too it's yeah. too much <laughs> totally and this makes me think as well so the next part here where they kiss again so Azriel has whether he wants to or not kind of like has opened himself up slightly to mrs coulter by saying i know i know about boreal and i don't care as we said it's obviously he does care so in this kiss that happens Mrs. Coulter has more of the power and you can see that in their demons. So it says, their demons were playing fiercely. The snow leopard rolled over on her back and the monkey raked his claws in the soft fur of her neck and she growled a deep rumble of pleasure. So it's kind of switched around in the sense of who has the power for that hot second of when they're kissing. Mm -hmm. And then the next bit here is a bit that just makes me think he's fucking evil. Mrs. Coulter says, if I don't come, you'll try and destroy me. And he says... Why should I want to destroy you? He said, laughing, with the light of the other world shining around his head. Come with me, work with me, and I'll care whether you live or die. Stay here and you lose my interest at once. Don't flatter yourself that I'd give you a second's thought. Now stay and work your mischief in this world, or come with me. He's fucking evil, I hate him. He's, he's butthurt, basically, is what he is. Like, he's been super fucking horrendous to her. But because she said no to him... And because he's then said, like, I know about you and Boreal, and he's, like, opened himself up to her a little bit, he's then thought, actually, I need to reclaim some of this power and carry on my horrific emotional abuse. And he's gone, like, a step. Obviously, he's already gone too far, but he's gone, like, a step further in his, like, hor horrific emotional abuse. It just reeks of insecurity. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's that thing of, like, oh, you've rejected me, so not only am I going to tell you that, like, You've rejected me and I've insulted you about your relationship with your daughter. You've rejected me and now I'm telling you that you're nothing to me. I don't care about you. Like, I don't care about you enough to want to try and kill you. Like, you're nothing. And it's like, it's so, 
it's very much really feels like a reflection of like systematic emotional abuse and like wearing somebody down. And it really is a reflection, I think, of the relationship dynamic they must have had. And she's, I do think it just shows how strong she is to kind of like, just be like, also just referring to her work as mischief. Mate, she is horrific. That is not mischief. That is like full level, like, (laughs) there is like a whole system of her abusiveness towards people that means that she's more than just a mischief maker, mate. She's a full on villain. And so are you. Yeah. Like you're as bad as each other. Let's but, not uh, yeah. this just because you think you're better than her. Um, yeah. <laughs> but she has the strength to just be like, just like, no. And she, there is a, like a hesitation there. She, it, she does seem to be drawn to him. She like closes her eyes and like re, like re-centers herself, I think. Mm-hmm. It says it looks like she's fainting, but I'm view- I'm choosing to view it as her like taking a breath and like re-centering her energy. Yeah. And she opens her eyes and there's like a beautiful sadness to them because you know that she's turning down something that I think she she was potentially quite like intoxicated and like addicted to their like relationship dynamic as toxic as it was. And she is like, no, mm-hmm. no, I can't do it. And the demons are apart again. And Lord Asriel like reaches down and like pets Del Maria to be like, oh, sorry, we got rejected, babe. <laughs> <laughs> and they turn their back on them and walk away without another word. Which, you know, I mean, at least he didn't try to steal the last word. She did get the last word in that interaction, which is surprising because he does seem like the kind of guy that would turn around and be like, I never liked you anyway. Uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> As he like walks off. Back Classic. Back of that bridge. <laughs> that Azriel's gone. He's gone into the other world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the gold little monkey prick leaps into Mrs. Coulter's arms and oh, it tries to like reach out to Estelle Maria as uh, oh, as Mrs. Coulter's walking away with it. Oh, maybe it's just like Coulter and Asriel just weren't meant for each other. But that monkey and that snow leopard, <laughs> such a good dynamic. <laughs> Love story totally. of our generation. Yeah, maybe they represent the like actual loving feelings that they once had for each other. Yeah. So <laughs> it's just still weird that it's a monkey and a leopard though. But <laughs> oh, totally, totally. Yeah. So Mrs. Coulter's crying, um, and Lyra, so it says Mrs. Coulter's face was a mask of tears. Lyra could see them glinting. They were real. So this is one of the first times we've seen her portray a true emotional reaction to something mm-hmm. with nobody around. So you know that she's not putting it on. There's no one there for her to perform to anymore. She doesn't know that Lyra's there. It's genuine human emotion from Mrs. Coulter. And it's like, whoa. Over him, girl. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can do better. <laughs> so yeah. she turns and she goes down the mountain. Doesn't bother to like find out where Lyra is or like shout about, check anywhere to see if she's maybe still alive, but whatever. <laughs> no, she's she's like, whatever. Done with that now. Goodbye. So Lyra's on her own again and she looks up towards the sky and such a vault of wonder she has never seen. The city hanging there, so empty and silent, looked new-made, waiting to be occupied or asleep, waiting to be woken. The sun of that world was shining into this, making Lyra's hands golden, melting the ice on Roger's wolf-skin hood, making his pale cheeks transparent, glistening in his open, sightless eyes. Roger. Oh. My minute silence for Roger, start now. (laughs) Um... That was the bit that makes me sad. I think, like, whenever someone's described as having, like, open, sightless eyes, 
get gets to me. Mm. It's really hard, and it's really like um, so. Yeah, the, we get a great description here of Lyra's emotions. Um, she felt wrenched apart with unhappiness and with anger too. She could have killed her father. If she could have torn out his heart, she would have done so right there and then for what he'd done to Roger and to her, tricking her. How dare he? Yes, how dare How fucking he? dare? How fucking dare you? I, I'm so here for Lyra's, like, righteous rage. I'm here for it. And she's still, like, she's... It's just so indicative. She's still in shock. Like, she's mm-hmm. witnessed all this stuff. She's kind of taken in the conversation between Azriel and Coulter. But, um, like, you know she's in shock because Pan's talking to her and she can't even hear it. Like, I'm imagining that, like, uh, tinnitus, like, ears ringing level of, like, just completely unable to cope with what's happening around her. Because, um, but Pan's had a realisation, which I love. So he, Pan, like, presses his claws into her hand to, like, shake her out of it and get her attention again. And he's like, Dust! <laughs> dust. Um, she's like, "What are you talking about?" And he's like, "Dust. He's going to find the source of dust and destroy it, isn't he?" And the oblation board and the church and Bolvanger and Mrs. Coulter—they all wanted to destroy it too. And basically, we come to the conclusion they're all bad, and they think dust is bad. So that means dust is good, right? Yeah. <laughs> and Lyra and Pan yeah. are like, "Yeah, we've come to this realization." <laughs> I love it again as well that like we had that moment at the beginning of the chapter where we were talking about how Lyra can't wish anymore and it's kind of symbolizes her childhood coming to an end or at least the traumatic events that have happened to her so far. But I love the fact that Pan and Lyra land on the side of dust being good just because somebody, the people that they don't like thinks it's bad. That's such like a childish, like sorry, such like a childlike thing to do and I really like it and I like that we get that injection of childlikeness to the end of the book it kind of gives it a bit more hope because we've just had such horrific things happen in this chapter definitely and also like it's very much like well the enemy of my enemy is my friend and now I've finally settled on the fact that Coulter and Asriel are my enemies and therefore Dust is my friend and I'm here for it (laughs) yeah totally so Lyra says that they could look for it too if they wanted to, um, and they could get to dust before Asriel gets to it. And then it says, the magnitude of the task silenced them. Lyra looked up at the blazing sky. She was aware of how small they were, she and her demon, in comparison with the majesty and vastness of the universe, and of how little they knew in comparison with the profound mysteries above them. And Pan is the best cheerleader in the world, because he's like, we could... We came all this way, didn't we? We could do it. And it's like, yes, Pan, you're so full of hope. and I love you so much. And also, just to be like the pragmatic person, they can't get back anyway. They've got nowhere else to go. Oh my God, yeah, they're so stuck. <laughs> <laughs> there is literally nowhere else to go but forwards. Yeah. Like... <laughs> they're trapped in an ice field and they will die if they stay here for much longer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. They say that they'd be alone. Um, Yorick Bernison couldn't follow us and help. Neither, nor could Forda Coram or Seraphina Peckler or Lee Scorsby or no one. Just a little roundup of all the people in Lyra's life that have been bloody brilliant. Sad times that Mark Costa got missed off that list, but we're here for well, you, that's Mark. That's true, that's true. I was going to say sad that John Ford got missed off, but then I remembered how angry we got about his hammer rant, so I'm like, yeah, maybe he can stay <laughs> off the list. And then Pan's like, oh, it doesn't matter, we're not alone anyway. Not like 
and, pa- and Lyra knows he's talking about Tony Macarius or they like the kids without their demons because like no matter what they've always got each other I love that so much Lyra and Pan alone together together alone and then so this is my favorite ending to a book ever I think it's beautiful how it's written so it says Roger's body lay still in her arms she let him down gently and will do it she said she turned away behind them lay pain and death and fear Ahead of them lay doubt and danger and fathomless mysteries, but they weren't alone. So Lyra and her demon turned away from the world they were born in and looked towards the sun and walked into the sky. Standing ovation. Oh, like, oh my God. Oh, so good. So good. I can't, like, it's such a good ending because we haven't, you're reading it for the first time. You have no idea what could possibly happen in the second book. They're leaving the world that they live in. And we know nothing about that world that they're going into. It's so wide open. And it's so like, I love the way that when you look at the three books, like you could just read the Northern Lights on its own and not read anything else. It's all very much set within this like one world. And the it just finishes with Lyra like leaving the entire world. We've spent the whole book getting to know and we don't even know where she's going or what's happening yeah like maybe we've been told there's some palm trees where she's yeah. going and like a boulevard and it's hot. but like that's it <laughs> it seems yeah warm. <laughs> yeah it's yeah. so great it's so brave as well for philip when he was writing it to just end it in a way and i'm sure he had a plan for where he wanted the trilogy to go but to just end it in a way that's so fucking open like Mm-hmm. anything could happen so good yeah and ending on a, a chapter that's so fraught with emotion like i really hope you enjoyed listening to this chapter listeners because i am utterly exhausted because i felt so many feelings today oh my god same and like just it's such an exhausting end to the book because you're feeling so many feelings and there's so much still to come and it's really it's quite overwhelming yeah, definitely definitely and just like lyra We've had literally no time to process our grief for Roger, which is kind of why I'm glad that she had her like emotional moments at the very beginning of this chapter and in the last chapter. Like I feel like she never really got Okay, so we had this like overwhelming moment of grief last mm-hmm. chapter where she like wails and like lets all this like emotion out of herself and you're like, why? Why is she doing that? And part of me wonders if it's because she knew that there was no real chance of succeeding at saving him. He'd been taken. And even when she gets him, she's never really truly got him back because even if she were to like grab his hand and his demon was free and they're running away in the snow, there is a full grown man and a snow leopard there to chase after Mm -hmm. them. Like, I don't understand how there was a scenario where she could have won. Yeah. She was never going to persuade Asriel or like talk him around. He was never going to listen to her because he has no respect for her opinion. And so I wonder if that's why we got that grief last chapter, because perhaps she kind of knew it was a like an impossible task to try and rescue him, but she knew she had to try anyway. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, she hasn't had any time to process Roger's death. Maybe she'll get it in the second book. We don't know that yet. She is kind of, she's just running off adrenaline at the minute. Like her and Pan made that decision filled with the adrenaline from what had just happened to them to just go into another world completely and kind of just start afresh on their own in another world. Yeah. And also, like, 
whilst she has Yorick and Lee and Serafina and the Egyptians, she very much has just witnessed something that has completely untethered her from her like blood family. Her mother and her father are officially atrocious and she knows it. So kind of like what is holding her back? Like we know that Yorick's an awesome bear dad, but like she's not known those people very long and she's just lost someone that's basically like a brother to her. I kind of feel like, yeah, what's holding her back? She's literally got nothing left except for Pan and he'll always be like, he, he's by her side. He always has been. What What is there to lose by following into this new world? Like, I can see in that moment her being like, there's nothing left for me here. Even though she knows she's got those connections. Mm. It's a lot. And she can't get back anyway. <laughs> <There's that. laughs> she would die. She'd have to do a pretty fucking sick run and jump to, to get back over that crevice. Yeah. <sighs> question. Mm-hmm. Lighthearted question for the end of the book. Why aren't people's demons turning into like massive birds that could carry them? Yeah, totally. Yeah. What would be a bird big enough to what would be a bird big enough to carry a human? Like a really big eagle. Like a har- is it a harpy eagle is like the biggest eagle. They're pretty bloody massive. They're like the size of a human person. Oh, that's, that's that's creepy. Yeah. I'll send you a picture. They're pretty epic looking. But um maybe that, but like why doesn't Pan just like turn into a bird and carry mm. her around places? True. Anyway, that's it. That's the end. Oh my god, I can't believe it's over. I know, we did it. It's not over. We've got a wrap up episode. We have, we have. <laughs> We're keeping my thoughts in for that. And then we've got how many more books have we got to go? Two more of this trilogy. And then there's gonna be three more when the books of dust are done. We'll be here forever, don't worry. We're not going that we're only having a little break. We're not going anywhere fully. It's true. Do you have an award to give out for this chapter? Yeah. This final chapter. Last award of Northern Lights. How could I give it to anyone other than Lyra and Pan, to be honest? Like, the two of them together. So fucking brave. They're my favourite characters of any book ever. And they do such a good job in this chapter throughout all the trauma. And then at the end when they kind of like recenter themselves and realize that they always have each other. I love that. And it's everything. <laughs> just yeah, just well well fucking done to those two. What about you? Do you have an award? RIP Roger. Oh yeah. It's obviously for Roger. Like right up to the end he was fighting. Yeah. And he was yeah. Just justice for Roger. This yeah, I can't this is Roger's last chapter, technically. Yeah, like, this is true, very true. He's, I can't, it's the last time we're going to see him, I can't. Oh. Ah, Roger! <laughs> uh, yeah, it has to go to him. Like, he deserves so much better from the world around mm-hmm. him. He deserved more. Definitely. Um, even from Lyra oh, absolutely. Times, he's more than just the kitchen boy, Lyra. Yep. More than just the kitchen yep. boy. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, Roger deserves everything and deserved better. And so it's for you, Roger, posthumously. Oh, Roger. A trophy will be sent to, I guess, not your family, because are you an orphan? The kitchen? At <laughs> Jordan? Yeah. It'll get hung in the kitchen at Jordan, I guess. <laughs> oh, Roger. Oh, do you know, just to just to bring back the, the positiveness after a very upsetting ending to the book, we didn't do our Discord picture. We need to take a little picture to put in the Discord. We do. Let's... 
Wait, let me get on my like, last page where it says the end. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Her Dark Materials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at HDMPod and you can email us at herdarkmaterialspod at gmail.com. You can also visit our website hdmpod.co.uk. If you want to support us and join us for the fun things that we're going to be doing in the break, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash hdmpod. You can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find us. I'm Faye, and when I'm not talking about Lyra and Pan, I'm probably writing. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Faye which is F-A-Y-E-L-E triple Y. And if you want to read some of my blog posts, I'm on Medium at Faye.Ducker. I'm Rachel, and when I'm not here crying about finishing the first book, I am making designer toys, art and illustrations. You can find me over on Instagram at rachemakes, on Twitter at rach underscore makes, and in my online shop, rachemakes.co.uk. A huge thanks as always to Johnny Knott for his musical stylings. And we'll see you next week for our interview with Joel Collins. And don't forget, keep telling stories and all will be well. Roger. RIP, go and make a cup of tea and like sit because that was emotional. (laughs) Bye, Roger. Bye. Bye.